You are now listening to The Big Trade with Peter Pham, enlightening conversations for maximum market returns. Ron Paul, welcome to The Big Trade series. It's um, been quite some time and we've been actually trying to get a hold of you because we wanted to discuss with you so many different things. Uh, Thank you again for uh, coming on to the podcast. Great to be with you today. So I I thought I wanted to start off this conversation by discussing about like your background and your history uh, dealing with uh, various different central bankers. And all over the internet, for example, there's been some fantastic conversations that you've had with the likes of Ben Bernanke, for example. And I noticed in those, that dialogue, perhaps you could just give us some additional insight, having looked directly into his eyes, is that it seemed to me as if like, he found many of the comments and suggestions that you've made uh, to be very reasonable. And to me, it sounded like he would be very malleable to any decisions that Congress uh, would make. I I don't know if that was maybe a public facade that he was putting on, but when you make suggestions or criticism, what creates this frustration, for example? Because, you know, many libertarians talk about their frustrations with overall central banking, and we can talk about that too. But I mean, when you're talking to the individuals that are involved and the ultimate decision makers to some of these, these issues that are of your concern, how, what, what seems to be the roadblock if they seem uh, open to your suggestions? Well, I, I think they're trained that way to accept that. I don't think they're trained or people want somebody there that's antagonistic and wants to argue. Because even if somebody wants to get a little bit loud and shout at the hearings, uh, they didn't respond in kind. And I, I think of Bernie Sanders. Um, he was on the banking committee with me. Right. And we would both challenge the Fed. But Bernie would get, really, really, you know, uh, you're messing up with the poor people and all these things. And I tried to follow a different tact that way and try to challenge him in a significant manner. And sometimes uh, they would ignore it, and sometimes they would uh, acknowledge it. The one thing several of them would do, because I kept persisting with this artificially low interest rates, which was going on, you know, with uh, with all of them, but Bernanke especially, and then with Yellen. And I would say, you know, you're hurting, you're hurting the elderly, and you know, it's it's uh, it's very painful, and you're just helping some special interests. You know, they didn't say, "Oh, that's crazy." They said, "You know, that is true, but uh, there sort of has to be a cost for this, and uh, that's one of the disadvantages." So they they didn't argue it on uh, on philosophic terms or economic terms. They just said it was uh, it, it was necessary. But they are they're 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 very very smooth, right? And uh, but I w- I didn't let them get under my skin because I uh, I knew who behind the Fed. They're very very powerful. They know what they want. But they're also not only powerful for political and economic and financial reasons, but they're there's uh, they've been you know backed up by a philosophy of central banking. Uh, right. I mean they they cannot imagine not having a central bank. So they. Uh, they're they're very uh, uh, very determined because you take a guy like Bernanke, he mm-hmm. spent a lifetime explaining the depression. Well, he he can't say, oh yeah, you're right, Ron. We got to change this, you know, <laughs> and throw away his whole life experience. 
but they've been conditioned, you know, by Keynesian central banking, inflationism, and they've worked it where it's to our advantage. So they're just they're just very very smooth and very slick. Generally, I thought they were they were reasonable in in a social way because right. you know I got to sort of know them and and would occasionally go to the Fed and have breakfast and things like that. And I wasn't one that thought we achieved a lot by you know shouting. Did did you notice any kind of like changes that happened? Because you you provided so much criticism, like productive criticism, you know, critical uh, feedback to them. Did they initiate any of those suggestions, or was this like? Hopefully, you didn't waste all your time doing all this. Well, I wasn't talking to the Fed people. The only way I would say that we, uh, if we did any good with them directly it would be after they left office because you know lately greenspan has been going back to his roots and saying you know uh more sensible things no i was always challenged in the committee we got five minutes uh you know to quiz and i would get criticized sometime well why don't you ask him a question let him say something and have a real debate with him Mm -hmm. well i deliberately chose not to do that because if you ask a 30 second question they may take up four minutes and and, you know just you know make their case for nonsense so Mm -hmm. i would use up the four minutes and then ask him a question and then probably get two or three extra minutes that way because uh, they sort of give you a little bit more license uh to to go over your time but uh i uh i just think that uh my message was reaching out you know to people maybe you even listen to those some of those questions you, you know live no right. so the financial markets knew about it and they were yeah. interested in what i would ask and, and because i was approaching it from an austrian uh, uh, gold standard viewpoint and 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 good uh, uh, free market economics and uh, so and this did help because you know over the years then we used groups like Campaign for Liberty to reach more people, and that was audit the Fed, audit the Fed, the Fed's a problem. We got to find out what's what's wrong with it. And that the audit the Fed, auditing the Fed did come up during the hearings, and they would explain why they didn't think it was a good. And they, you know, and I said, yeah, all you're doing is protecting your secrecy. You say you want independence, but I said your independence is secrecy, and right. uh, and we deserve to know what's going on. But those debates, you know, and and uh, just went back and forth. I didn't expect to change their minds, really. Right, but it right, helped right. build the case because when the large number of American people thought uh, nodding to defend was good because that was reasonable, liberals and conservatives sent a message to the Congress. So when we had a vote, uh, we we could win it overwhelmingly to audit the Fed when we'd have a vote in the House. How come, because I noticed that that was one of Bernanke's deflective responses to you through everything was basically, yeah, if you want to do it, just go through Congress, just go through Congress. Why is it, if that's the case, like, I mean, why is it so difficult to get Congress to feel incentivized to instill some of these changes that you were suggesting? Well, you know, I'll bet you Hillary gives us a strong hint uh, to that. Because, you know, even when Trump said something about about the Fed, Hillary chimes in, taking the very, very strong, aggressive pro-Fed. You can't do this. You can't interfere. You shouldn't be talking about public policy. Like, it's so secret and so important, you know, that you shouldn't talk about it. And, and it's, again, the conditioning and the, and the economic beliefs. I remember when we had the Gold Commission set up, because in 79 and 80, uh, things were rocky 
financially, and uh, gold was seven, eight hundred dollars. So they gave us this Jesse Helms and myself uh, this gold commission uh, to deal with, and and I can remember the first meeting um, uh, we had. The Secretary of Treasurer Regan uh, was in charge, and he said, "No press, nobody's in here, nothing, because." What we say in here might rock the markets, might disturb the dollar, might disturb the gold markets, and all that. So they wanted total secrecy. But we, publicly, we went with a few friends in the media, Bob Novak, I remember, and uh, Lou Lehrman was with us on that, too, and he was on the commission. That We went public, and finally public pressure said, no, you can't have these meetings as secret. But, yeah, they 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 think that, and uh, and they believe that, and that's why Congress is part of that Congress, Congress doesn't know how, uh, you know, it works, and they want to defer. But those who do know want it secret, and they want it quiet because conservatives want military spending, right. liberals want welfare spending, and they don't want to tax the people. It would, you know, break the bank. It would, they can't tax us anymore. So they say tax to the hilt, borrow to the hilt, and then print if you need to. So they know that, and that's why at the end of the year, the Republicans and the Democrats have these omnibus bills. They're gigantic, thousands of pages, spending billions of dollars in you know, a Pelosi or Boehner, they'll get together and they divvy up the loot, and the thing gets passed, and most of the members of Congress can't fight them and don't want to fight them because there's something in there for themselves. Right. And it's, it's a process. The basic flaw is the philosophy of government that the people endorse, and the Congress go along, and they use it to stay in power. Right. So do you think this is like a, an agenda of plutocrats and technocrats to make central banking as complex as possible so that no one understands? That's my first question. And then secondly, is what is it that we need to understand about central banks um, and why they're so detrimental to free markets? Well, you know, some, though, I don't think it's as complicated as they want us to think. I've always claimed I could teach a 12-year-old exactly what's going on and what printing press money is all about and why it loses its uh, its uh, value. Right, right. Uh, but it's to the, the advantage of the special interest that it, that it continues. But, of course, I've written books on, on the Fed and why we need to get rid of it. Uh, to me, the biggest problem is, is the moral issue. The moral issue is that it's legalized counterfeiting on a massive scale never known before in history that the reserve currency of the world, the dollar, has been free uh, to print and give us a lot of power and prestige over over the world, both mm -hmm. in being able to pay for our military. At the same time, they continue to take our dollars. So if, uh, if you believe in a system like that, you have to reject the notion of limited government. And limited government is what is necessary if you care about individual liberty. But uh, most of them don't care that much about that. They're more interested in, you know, power and, and money. So... Uh, ultimately, though, the people will wake up because, you know, if you have a Zimbabwe uh, crisis, uh, you know, they know there's something wrong with the, with the money. Right now, I think we're in much better shape than we were 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it would have been just unbelievable that as many people uh, as we have today that are aware that the Fed is the culprit. Even on the business stations now, they talk about, well, the Fed has lost touch. They've lost control, you know, and they, they, there are some negative comments out there. Oh, the Fed caused this problem. They kept interest rates too low, too long. And I think that's great because they're pointing 
to the Fed as the cause of our uh, of the business cycle, the unemployment, the inflation, and all these things. And of course, if you go to the next step, to big government and the loss of liberty and too many wars. So right. the Fed is the engine of of, of big wars, and uh, of, of course, uh, eventually all the poverty we have could mostly be pre- be pre- prevented by free markets and sound money. Ron, I noticed that in terms of some of like this, uh, the economic paradigm that you have for free markets, that it obviously is related to like limited government, for example. And um, what one thing I also noticed that relates to that is um, the ideas and concepts of things like um, uh, natural law. And I had a conversation with uh, Doug Casey uh, about natural law as well, and he was actually stumbled by this question. And I don't. You know, I just kind of sit here objectively and try to think about it. So um, one of the uh, components of natural law is do all you say that you'll do. Makes sense, reasonable to me. But the next one kind of stumbles me. Do not encroach in other people's property, for example. Uh, like when I think about that concept of property, if you notice, say you look at the Middle East or if you look at even North America, and you look about how um, you know European settlers came in and took over the land from natives. Like, what is property? Because clearly, a lot of people are fighting over property. Who lays the claim to the property? That that just intellectually boggles me in terms of um, uh, natural law. Well, it, you know, the pure thought would be that uh, you can't go into any territory, no matter how uh, primitive the people are and take their land. Right. And uh, in some ways, when, when their settlers came here, they tried to make deals and buy land and all, but obviously it was probably pretty ruthless. So it was exactly. a more civilized, more civilized group of people taken over from the less civilized. So it, uh, the perfection is not going to come, and there's probably a statute of limitation which is natural on that. But I don't think I should give up give up on the concept of natural rights. Some people, some libertarians aren't that gun ho about natural rights because it indicates uh, possibly even the idea of a natural right might come from a creator. But when I talk about it, I talk about natural right, you're born with it, it and to emphasize it doesn't come from government. And uh, under, the, under these circumstances, you know, your life and your property and what you earn should be yours to keep. And uh, there's just some basic rules which are not only not only do they make common sense, but they're also part of all the great religions of the world. And that is, thou shalt not steal. You shouldn't mm. lie, and, and, and you shouldn't cheat people. These are just the basic concepts. Some people, I remember I had that debate sort of with Milton Friedman once, and I said, if, if it doesn't come from a creator, and it's not a natural thing to have it, he says, well, freedom just evolved, you know. And in some ways, <laughs> the understanding... The understanding may have evolved, but that doesn't mean where it came from evolved. You know, uh, maybe uh, it, there's a tremendously natural instinct for us, t- uh, you know, to be very independent-minded, and you see that in everybody, you know, in a two-year-old or a teenager, but then there has to be some rules that may have, evol- have evolved an understanding that society is better by following this natural instinct of the importance of natural rights rather than conceding to the government. Mm-hmm. You know, that, oh, we got this, we became free because we finally had a government to give us our freedom. That's the, that's the issue that is very dangerous. So I've been studying a lot about um, the history of the Roman Empire. And um, there's many people that will correlate um, the period of time when it was a republic as the true height 
of, I guess, Rome during that period of time. And then people will say that the downfall was when it actually became an empire. Uh, I'm not sure if you're following any of this, but I know that many people confuse the definitions of republic and a democracy. And, you know, what is it that we can understand about the differences between the two? And what kind of insight will that give when we're observing like the current quote unquote empires today? No, I, th I think there's a lot of truth to that, whether it's the Roman Empire or, or any other ones. It's connected very often to militarism, and it's also connected to the debasement of currency. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Byzantine Empire lasted after the, the Roman system broke up east and west. The east arrived, and they had a sound currency, and it lasted, uh, the Byzant lasted a thousand years. But then, then they were doing more things uh, militantly, and they also debased their currency. It yep. was associated with it, and finally it came apart. And the same thing happened when the uh, Roman Empire broke. I mean, they destroyed their currency, too. Uh, so it is, it is related, but I think, I think empire has a lot to do with it. Uh, I, I, I think of the Soviet system, that was an empire, and they had a lot of territory involved, but, but uh, they didn't have a sound economic system. It was socialism, and socialism always fails, and, and it did, and their system collapsed, and we didn't have to fight a nuclear war uh, with them. And I think we're on the verge of that right now, that uh, everybody knows we do have an empire. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they, some of them think it's very good because we're an exceptional nation, and we will teach them how to be good Democrats and have elections unless they elect the wrong person, and we go and kill that person <laughs> and uh, look for somebody else. So, uh, no, uh, we're on the verge of that. I believe uh, uh, the morality of money is important, but I think uh, the morality of the people are important, too, because... If uh, the Roman Empire, if you've, if you've been reading about it recently, they also had a significant breakdown of the family system. Mm. And uh, that, you, if, you, if you get rid of all management by government, who's going to manage things? And traditionally, certainly in the Old Testament, the, the tradition was there was a family management, local groups and judges and, and different things like that, completely different than a, a governmental empire. So one final question, Ron. Um, this is the multi-trillion dollar question is, what are some of your upcoming concerns about uh, financial markets over the next several years? Well, the breakdown of the dollar system, the, uh, I believe the dollar is in a major bubble along with all the bonds, and I think we're precariously close uh, to that rejection. Now, of course, if the Fed came out tomorrow and said, you know, we're in big trouble and we have to start raising interest rates, we'll start by raising at 1%, that could, you know, bring the house down because there's no, uh, no foundation to our economic system. But uh, it, it, uh, it doesn't have to have a Fed action to do this. It will be just a re rejection of confidence. And I think we're seeing that a little bit now. Interest rates are going up. Uh, the Chinese are not buying our dollars anymore. They're selling. And other nations are doing this. And that means there will be more pressure on our Federal Reserve. And finally, confidence will be lost. And people, uh, just like we know, they rush, from, rush to the exits when the, when the stocks collapse. The same thing will happen with the bond. The bond markets uh, are bigger than the stock market. But I think it will go together. Confidence will be one thing, and I don't think we will be the kingpin. I think people have finally had it with the United States because we have, uh, uh, you know, we have our troops in 120-some countries, and uh, we're very bold. We are not humble. 
and we tell other people what to do. We have a foreign policy which says you do as we tell you and we'll send you lots of money. Uh, if you don't, we'll bomb you. Right. What happens when we can't send them any money or send them money where people have rejected it? So uh, I think it'll be the bursting of the bond bubble along with the devaluation of our dollar and uh, the stock markets will go down and then you will also see price inflation in this country as well. Thank you, Ron Paul, for coming on to the Big Trade Series. I hope we can have you come on sometime in the not-too-distant future. Very good. Thank you. Nice being with you. We hope you enjoyed this mastermind session. If you'd like to contact Peter Pham or Phoenix Capital, please email info at phx-cap.com.